148. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the highest heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, all. Uh, praise him, you highest heaven and you waters above skies. Uh, let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He set them in place forever and ever. He gave a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths. Lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do not spinning. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers of earth, young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted, his splendor is above the earth and the heavens, he has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his saints. Oh, his saints of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. The second reading comes from Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 26. Blessings and woes. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him, because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you who, when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comforts. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Uh, well, welcome. Uh, welcome again. It's great to be with you. If you've uh, been away for a little while or uh, just wondering sort of where we're up to, we're making our way through Luke's gospel, and we've titled this, message, this uh, series The Way of Salvation because Luke is trying to identify for uh, his for his reader, uh, Theophilus, and any, any who would read this work as well, what it actually means 
to find salvation through Jesus Christ. And as we come to Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 26, here we have the tidings of Jesus, the, the news that Jesus has come to bring. Uh, we, though, in this culture have really perfected the art of sarcasm and cynicism, haven't we? Uh, somebody comes out with the latest thing. It's almost less than 24 hours before somebody writes a review. Uh, everyone's trying to sort of get their voice heard, and, and some of the people have found out that the best way to hear your voice is to just be critical, to just undercut, to, to be the one who gives the scathing critique. And this is a message, though, that you need to understand Jesus is not putting out there to say, oh, I wonder what you all think about this. Here's an idea, let's try this. Jesus here is speaking for his audience the way of the kingdom of God. It's new, it's different, it's unique, and it's important to us to try to understand what indeed is good about it. Have you ever asked yourself, what is good about the gospel? The word gospel can often be confused through his Christian lingo as uh, just sort of the thing Christians believe, but it actually just means good news, good news. But what is good about this news? Have you asked yourself that question? Now you're probably thinking, well, what's good about the news, Jonathan, is that it means our sins are forgiven, yes. Your sins are forgiven through the blood of Christ. Absolutely. It means you can be saved. Yes. But here in this passage, you'll find a richness and a vividness that goes much deeper. I encourage you, if you have seemed to feel a bit distant from God or there's a bit of a cold feeling in your heart, to sit with the words of Jesus in this text. This is because, and our big idea this morning is that in Jesus, a great reversal has begun. A great overturning, a great undoing, a great fulfilling, a great leveling, a great inverting. This reversal is happening in Jesus now. That's what all the fuss is about. Sometimes we can get confused that the purpose of the church is merely to perpetuate itself. Well, if we want the club to keep meeting for the next generation, then we need to train up people so that they learn the ways and the secret handshakes and the secret phrases and the passwords and how to dress and how to act and how to do. And we need to, we need to make sure they all know those things so that they can perpetuate it for the next group. But in reality, the church is those who've been gathered by God gathered and incorporated into a kingdom, a kingdom that is breaking in, has broken in, and is taking over this world. The focus of this text is on this idea of blessing, and blessing can be something that we associate with just sort of saying, you know, oh, excuse me, bless you, you know, you, you had a sneeze, oh, bless you, oh, you're going through a hard time, bless you. It's kind of this sort of throwaway thing, you know, may God just sort of rain glitter on you from heaven, just to sort of just bless you, you know, bless you, bless you, bless you. Uh, blessing, that is not what blessing theology is about. Blessing and this understanding of blessing didn't just mean that you would get sprinkled with some fairy dust from heaven. Blessing meant 
flourishing under the favor and the purposes of God. Flourishing under the favor and purposes of God. A man or a woman who reflects the image of God perfectly operating within that image, to live in that way, to live in that communion, in that relationship, to thrive, to fulfill the purpose for which you were created, to, to, to walk in those ways, to know the joy and the favor and the purpose of God. This is, this is blessing. So if you read the Old Testament, it's particularly the Psalms, a lot of the wisdom literature within the Psalms and the other places is describing what it means to live a blessed life. Psalm 1, which gives you the key to the whole Psalter, begins by telling you, blessed is the man. It's saying, this is the way. Jesus is about to pronounce blessing, but what we need to hear is not him just sort of magically dispersing things. He's articulating those upon, whose God, upon whom God's favor is resting. And this, I suspect, will be a bit challenging for us. But to give us a bit of a backdrop before we jump into this text, uh, I'm going to ask you to think about what is your version of the good life? What is the good life for you? What's the thing that you want to see happen in your life? Paint the picture in your mind right now. Go there, go there. Are you sitting on a hill? Are you sitting by the beach? Are you in a house surrounded by children and spouse, family members? Are you at your job? Are you receiving an award? What is the good life for you? What does it look like? Is it walking through the shops at Penrith? <laughs> being able to say, I'll have that and I'll have that and I'll have that. Is it being able to drive down the street as I saw this morning as I was coming in, in this parade of muscle cars, which for some reason only come out on Sundays? What is the good life for you? Think about that as we pray. Lord, would you speak to our hearts today as we come to your word? Would you encourage us Shape us, fit us for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Our outline this morning is, is really very simple. It is, uh, it's this, three questions really. What's the news? What's the news that Jesus came to bring? Secondly, why is it good? What's the news? Why is it good? And the third question, does it sound good to you? What's the news? Why is it good? And does it sound good to you? What's the news? Now, there's a number of ways we can answer this, and Jesus is going to launch into that, that news in Luke 6, uh, 20. But you need to see the setting, and to set the scene here, Luke gives us a very short summary. Now, you, you will recall before this, Jesus has spent a night in prayer. He's chosen his disciples, and he's designated 12 of them to be his apostles, his envoys, his messengers. This is in response to a series of escalating confrontations with the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, who were opposing Jesus and trying to undermine his ministry. And here we have verses 17 to 19, this scene of just, just blessed revelation, God meeting with his people. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon. 
This is a larger sweep across the area of people who've gathered to Jesus. But notice how Luke distinguishes the audience. There's a crowd of disciples. This would include the 12, plus more. And then, on top of that, there's a great number, a multitude of other people from all over Judea, all over the region, including from Jerusalem, the pinnacle city, as well as from Gentile areas, Tyre and Sidon. This is the coastal cities. Now, a bit of understanding of the, the, the background of this society, the society in Galilee was largely agrarian. It was about fishing and harvesting and planting, whereas in Tyre and Sidon, it was more wealthy. It was sort of the city. There was imports and exports, coastal regions. Great monuments were built there. Powerful cities. So this crowd has gathered, and they had come to hear, Luke records, to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Luke is very careful in describing the ministry of Jesus it almost always has this pair of teaching and healing. And they're almost exclusively together. And if he goes far into healing, the next move he'll go into teaching. And then he'll go back into healing. It's this holistic ministry of Jesus. But they had come to hear him and to be healed. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured. And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Imagine somebody coming to town, and you got people from Newcastle, from North Sydney, from the Shire, from Wollongong, people from the Blue Mountains. You got people coming all the way from Bathurst, Orange. They're all coming. They're coming down to Sydney. They want to see this person, and they go to they meet this person, and all of the afflictions that they bring with them are disappearing. It's a beautiful picture. This is the kingdom of God in action. This is what God had promised. Listen to what Isaiah foretold in chapter 11. Isaiah had been prophesying to the people of God, and he said that God was going to chop them down like they're a tree. They were going to chop them down, but a shoot, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. That's David's dad. So David's lineage, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Does that word sound familiar? Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Jesus said today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Isaiah 11, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the Lord, of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Listen to this. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. And with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Further on, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his, the sash around his waist. Moving on, verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. This picture that Isaiah gets as he's looking down in the future of God's redemptive work. He says, some shoot is going to rise up from this stump of Israel that's been cut off. And this shoot's going to rise up from David's lineage. And the Spirit of the Lord is going to rest on this one. 
And his existence is going to be like a banner unfurled to the nations saying, come to me. And the nations will rally to him. That's what's going on in Luke 6. You got people coming from everywhere. They just need to be with Jesus. And it says, his resting place will be glorious. This is what people are finding. As we were talking about this on Wednesday, Pastor Stephen had a great picture. He said, he said it's, like, it's like this great light is shining out of Jesus. And this light is bringing healing and power. And people are being cured. In other words, the kingdom of God is here. Jesus is bringing God's kingdom to earth. The news is the kingdom has dawned. It has arrived. And Jesus is demonstrating it. And then, in verses 20 to 26, he's going to announce that kingdom. The gospel, brothers and sisters, is not simply that you will be forgiven of your sins. The gospel is that the kingdom of God has begun. The gospel is that God is ruling and reigning now. Not that he was ever out of control, but that he has broken in and he's broken the back of sin. He's broken the power of death and that he is in the process of overturning all of these. And that he is recreating, restoring men and women first through the Spirit. That they're being made new. They're not the same as they were. They were dead and now they're alive. The news is the kingdom of God is here. But why is it good news? And to borrow a phrase from one commentator, Spencer, he says, Jesus here, he's... He's leveling the playing field and he's inverting the hierarchies. This is why the news is good. Jesus is going to describe the kingdom of God and what it looks like. And just a little bit of background. Whenever, I don't know if you were taught this in school, but when we were learning about something, we were taught to do the five W's and an H, you know, who, what, when, where, why, how. Who, what, when, where, why, how. So we'll just sort of do this really, really quick on this, okay? Uh, who? Who is Jesus talking to? Verse 20, you'll see Jesus is speaking to his disciples. But it's not just his disciples, it's also the crowd. Because in 7-1, Luke chapter 7, verse 1, it says, and all those who heard him. So there's a sense in which Jesus is addressing his disciples, but he's also addressing future disciples or potential disciples, which is very common of the ministry of Jesus. Where? It's in the plain. In Mark's gospel, he records a message similar to, to near the sea. This can read a lot like the Sermon on the Mount, and scholars debate back and forth, was there one Sermon on the Mount? And they're trying to understand this from different perspectives. You know, was Matthew sitting up on the hill, but Luke is envisioning himself down low? You know, how does this work? Now, probably, and this is what I'm persuaded, Jesus' disciples remembered a body of his teaching. There's, there, there's a sense in which Jesus uses familiar metaphors and teaching and language, and like many a good preacher, he would probably reuse those time and time again. 
And so I have no problem understanding this to be a separate sermon than the Sermon on the Mount or to be Luke's remembrance of one particular time of Jesus' teaching. Where it's in the plain, what we said he's going, to, he's going to teach about the kingdom of God. He's going to describe that kingdom, but he's also going to predict for his disciples. So there's a sense in which this message is descriptive. It's telling you what the kingdom is like. There's another sense in which it is predictive. It's, it's, it's setting forth for those who would follow Jesus what they can expect or what they should be able to anticipate. And finally, the message is also probative, meaning it's going to take your heart and lift it up and start to pull it and poke it and tease it and bring it into the light. It's a message that's descriptive, tells you what the kingdom is like. It's a message that's predictive. It's going to show the disciples what they can expect to happen if they continue following Jesus. But ultimately, it's probative because this message of the kingdom of God is going to lift the hearts. And it's going to expose and reveal what they are, which is exactly what Simeon prophesied about Jesus when he held him in his arms. Who, where, what? When we know when. Why? Why? Because the message of the kingdom of God is not something you can intuitively understand by looking at the world. You can discern some things by looking at the world. You can look at the world and you can have an understanding that God is powerful, that there is some, there's some design into it. That, that, that things did not appear randomly by chance. You, you can even gather things like beauty and, and love from, from observing creation. But there's some things that you cannot understand simply by looking at the created order. This is because we live in a created order that's been subject to sin and the fall and its effects. This means that there is, uh, th there is an understanding to be gained from Jesus as one who has a unique communion with the Father, the one who knows God and repeats for us and shares with us the very heart of God in his mission. This is why it's not good enough to simply be with your coworkers and be nice and, and treat them with gentleness and respect. That's great. You will gain a hearing for the gospel, but that's not the same thing as speaking the gospel. It's because there is a logic inherent to the kingdom of God that is different than the logic that is inherent to the kingdom of the world in which we all live and dwell. But why? Why? Fulfillment of Isaiah 61, Jesus in Luke 4, in the, in the, in the synagogue at Capernaum, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me in order to what? To preach good news to the poor. Jesus is watching and he, he is following in fulfillment of exactly what he said he would do. Exactly the purpose for which the Spirit anointed him. Now, why is the news good? If the news is the kingdom is here, why is the news good? Listen to Jesus. Looking at his disciples, and, and, and there's only three times, three times where we have this phrase, uh, it, it's sort of, in the original, it's more strung out. It, it's very poetic. It's, and lifting up his eyes upon his disciples. If you're a narrator, it's a way of sort of slowing things down. It's, it's a moment of resolve. The other instance is just before Jesus prays in John 17, verse 1. And lifting up his eyes to heaven. Here, 
And lifting up his eyes to his disciples, he said, now some have argued this is a message only for the disciples and it's not for the crowds. Others have said, well, it's really just for all the crowds. It's, can it be both? <laughs> Sometimes when I'm talking to my children in a group or I'm talking in a group of people, I will look over at my children as if to say, I'm talking to everyone, but I'm also talking to you. <laughs> That's the sense here with Jesus. He lifts up his eyes. He's got this mass group of people who, who are being healed, who flocked from everywhere. But he has special attention for his disciples as if to say, you should be writing this down. <laughs> this is what he says. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject you, your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. I'm going to put up for you uh, a handy little table that shows these blessings and the woes that balance them. And you'll see there's really just four categories here. This is again from Spencer's commentary and I hope it replicates fairly well. Oh, hopefully you can see it, all right. The blessing of the kingdom is that the poor possess it. That hungry people will be filled, that weepers will laugh, and that those who are despised for the sake of Christ have heavenly honor like the true prophets of old. The woes are the exact opposite of that. So woe or woe to the rich, they have all they're going to get, as Spencer says. Full will be the hungry. The laughers will mourn and weep, and the pleasers of everybody are like false and discredited prophets of old. So there's this balance, there's this, there's this very delicate expression of the logic of the kingdom. Let's go through these quickly. Jesus said, blessed are the poor for yours is the kingdom of God. The NIV has blessed are you who are poor. It's literally just blessed are the poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Now this is different than what Matthew says. Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He speaks specifically about a, a heart or a soul condition Luke is speaking about the materially poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Interestingly enough, the two instances of people responding to the call of Jesus to follow him have been followed up directly with a summary statement by Luke saying, and so they left everything and followed him. Peter, James, and John, after the biggest successful fishing day in their career of fishing, after witnessing the miraculous, marvelous provision of God and all this abundant fish, the scene literally is they leave all these fish on the shore and they walk away with Jesus. Levi just left his post, just up and left his post. So in a sense, it's true when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, they are people who've left things and 
He said, blessed are the poor, yours is the kingdom of God. This is where we want to say, really? Really? (laughs) But I want you to appreciate, appreciate the joy and the blessing that this is. If you think about poverty in this world, poverty is a force unto itself. Poverty not only excludes you from enjoying material privileges, it also excludes you from things like education, from having access to information that can help you and heal you, be that information medical care on how to treat the coronavirus or proper way to understand where children come from. Poverty can be a force that excludes. It's like this plexiglass. You you, you sort of watch the other side, but you can never get through this barrier. But here, the poor own the kingdom of God. How rich is God? Infinite. (laughs) Infinitely rich. You cannot drain the resources of the Creator. God is so powerful, He speaks things into existence. The poor possess His kingdom. God shares His abundance with them. You get the kingdom of God. This is in contrast to what he will say in verse 24. When he gets to the rich, woe to the rich, you already receive your comfort. You you won't inherit the kingdom of God. You've been comforted. What we're watching in this passage is people who are disenfranchised, people who are downtrodden. Experiencing the love and the power of God. As one commentator, Carol, said, grace is for those whose life has been misfortune through and through. These people have the kingdom of God. In a world that's oriented around power and privilege and having wealth as a means to accomplish what you want, these people don't have the means. I bet you could give me a list of five things right now that you would want that you can't afford. And I bet if I give you three more minutes, you could make it 10. But here, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is available not on the basis of what's in your bank account, not on the basis of your social class or social standing. You can have a claim in the kingdom of God. Some of you are out chasing all different sorts of cryptocurrency and and you're watching the stock market and you're riding it and some of you are really, really good at it. God has given you an ability to generate wealth. That is a gift. I hope you can appreciate that. But that has absolutely no bearing on whether or not you will possess the kingdom of God. None whatsoever. In fact, the joy of the kingdom is that the poor who have nothing will have an opportunity to share in this kingdom. And it's not as if God's saying, well, look, I guess you didn't have a good life, so sure, come on into my kingdom. 
There's a little corner over there for you to play in. No, the picture is that what is of true value and what is of true worth is eternal and is in heaven, and the poor have that. So blessed are you. In the next two Beatitudes, the next two Beatitudes, Jesus speaks of a contrast between the now and the then. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. You're feeling deprived if you don't have enough to eat. Now, I don't know, has anyone actually not had enough to eat? I'm not talking by choice. I'm not talking you've decided to go on a 5-2 diet or whatever, and you're going to fast yourself a little bit. I'm talking, has anyone here actually ever not had enough to eat? That's never been the case for me. There were people in that day who didn't have enough to eat. Jesus says, you're blessed. You will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now. You will laugh. Now, laughter in the Bible doesn't necessarily line up neatly with our categories of laughter and sort of joy. We, we, we think about laughter in terms of sort of comedy, lighthearted joy, ha ha. Laughter, often in the biblical story, is a laughter of derision or, or mocking. So think about if you were ever in sport and you scored the goal and the guy had been, you know, elbowing you all game, you turn around and you go, ha, scoreboard. <laughs> that is the idea of laughter, this idea of, uh, of sort of mocking derision. And here the people who have been oppressed, people who don't have enough, they are weeping now in their lack, but Jesus says, at the end of the day, you're going to be the one in the catbird seat. People are going to be looking at you saying, I got it all wrong. So blessed are you as well when people hate you, exclude you, insult you, reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Now here it's suffering for Jesus. And the word is to rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. This is fulfilled in the book of Acts. And it's still being fulfilled today. There is joy and bearing reproach for the name of Jesus because they know in the moment that they receive this persecution, this hatred, this exclusion, this insult, this rejection, they know in heaven their reward is safe. What this is speaking of is Jesus is saying that right now with the breaking in of the kingdom of God, there is this hidden reality going on. There's this hidden, hidden principle at work and as a Christian, you have been given the script of how this hidden reality works. That is that, that your identity is not in your possessions. Your identity is in not in what you can accumulate. It's not in whether you feel comfortable right now, that that's not your true worth, that's not your true treasure, but the true treasure is Jesus. As a Christian, this is our reality. And so we bear disgrace for the name of Christ. We are willing to, to give of our possessions. 
It's a reality that the church is privileged and glad to enact, to, to, to bring to pass. This is seen in Acts chapter 2 where we're told that the early church, they didn't lack for anything. Everybody shared abundantly of what they had. And so how does it sound to you? If this is the blessing of the kingdom, how does it sound? Jesus is signaling a great reversal is coming. He says, woe to you who are rich for you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. And woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. That is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Money. Satisfaction. Ease. And a good reputation. Can I suggest these are temptations for us? Just as much as they are for the world. But Jesus is pointing out that there is a total switch. There's a total reversal that's, that, that's going to happen, and it's coming. And so how do we hear it? How does it sound? Is this the kingdom you want to be a part of? Is this good news? It's kind of sobering. <laughs> Joanna had a great line. She said, what I don't know can't convict me. <laughs> Can I suggest that we are living in a time and an age that will rip your eyes off Christ, even as a church, will rip your eyes off Christ, and it will lay a smorgasbord at your feet of things that you might get or, or be able to attain from this world, from everything as intangible as a reputation to as tangible as an all-you-can-eat buffet. The world will just lay it there. Into that, Jesus is speaking. This is the blessing of the kingdom. The poor share in the kingdom of God. Those who are hungering will be fed. Those who are weeping will laugh. And those who are rejected for my name, they have, present tense, have a great reward in heaven. Oh, Windsor District Baptist Church, I, uh, I ache. I ache for us. Because the pull is so strong. It is so strong. Now, we can read this to say, oh no, Jesus is being really scary here. Jesus is 
Why is he challenging us so much? Or we can read it as, this is a great blessing. Jesus has told us what to watch out for. Think about it for a moment. If you stop treating people or stopped, stopped seeing yourself and your identity, if that was completely detached from how much money you made or had, like if, if, if that didn't factor into anything, if money didn't factor into your future, what kind of person would you be? If your level of personal comfort and satisfaction had nothing to do with your future, what kind of person would you be? If, if your level of ease or angst didn't have anything to do with your future, what kind of person would you be? If your reputation and how people saw you didn't factor into the way you lived, you were so clear otherwise, what kind of person would you be? Can I tell you? You would be free and you would be ready to love. You would be free and you would be ready to love. You know why I think the gospel isn't compelling to many in the world? I think they look at the church and they're like, I feel like you're trying to do what we do without the curse words and with a little bit of Jesus. <laughs> but the reality is, and I, I encourage you to think about stepping off. What would happen? What would happen? If I could let go of the desire to consume and accumulate, if I could let go of the desire to satisfy myself, if I could let go of entertainment, if I could let go of what people might think about me or say about me or what I might be kept out of. Notice exclusion. Because you will be excluded. You will be insulted. You will be rejected. You won't get the invitations. You won't get to go to this thing or that thing. You won't get in the, the special chat group. You won't get invited around the water cooler. You're not going to have those things. But I'll tell you what, you will be free to love. And you will be light to the world. The good news is a reversal is upon us. You see... People who adopt this will shift their stance and they will have a posture with the world of serving the gospel and they say, you know what, now that I'm not attached to any of these things, I, because I have the kingdom of God, because I know Christ, because my life is hidden with him, I've, I am saved and forgiven, I am abundantly supplied because of all this is true, I'm then in a place where, you know what? My life isn't about what I can put on my plate. My life is about what I can give away. And my orientation is about serving this message of grace. As the band comes up and we finish in a song, I want you to um, not hear this as a, I don't believe Jesus is meaning this message as a message of, of, of threat so much. Yes, judgment's in there. But Jesus is speaking this as like 
a balm to your soul. Your soul needs to hear this. Your spirit needs to drink this in. My spirit needs to drink this in. And if you think of anything, when you think of this text, I want you to think of the people, the people who were gathered around Jesus. They made the trip because they were troubled and they left restored. Father, would you restore us in your image? May we be salt and light. In your name, amen. Would you stand with us? Thanks.